school starts in just about a month in some places around Florida. Yet the state is short thousands of teachers. And the next school year has new rules and materials some teachers say are confusing and even downplay racism. This is the Florida Roundup from WLRN Public Media in Miami and WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. Well, a new school year is just weeks away, and Florida is missing thousands of teachers. What's being done to keep them in the classroom? Plus, new laws have changed what some teachers can teach and how they teach. Also, why the state wants to now survey Florida college students. A full hour on education here in the Sunshine State with your voice at 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com. Welcome to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for supporting public broadcasting in your community. I'm Tom Hudson in Miami. And I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. Well, the new school year is about a month away for many Florida families and teachers, and there are thousands of vacant jobs in public schools across the state. More than 400,000 kids in Florida may start the new school year without a full-time certified teacher at the front of the classroom. That's the worry from the State Teachers Union, the Florida Education Association. And this is no secret to uh, state education agency leaders. The uh, new state education commissioner, Manny Diaz, knows this is a big problem in the Sunshine State. In fact, in April, he told this program, the Florida Roundup, it was his number one issue. Number one thing is here we're facing a teacher shortage. There's an issue with recruitment and retention. Now, just a few years ago, voters in several school districts voted to pay more in property taxes with some of those new dollars going toward raising teacher pay. Still, the average teacher pay statewide here in Florida, about $51,000. That's more than ten grand below the national average. And teachers face new rules and materials in the classroom. The new parental rights and education law bans sexual orientation and gender identity instruction that is not what the law calls age appropriate. Civics curriculum has been revised in ways some teachers say improperly diminishes the role of race in America's history. And later in the hour, what's behind the new state survey of college students and professors? Think of this as a summer school edition of the Florida Roundup this week, (laughs) right, Melissa? We're going to spend the entire hour talking about public education here in Florida, kindergarten through higher education. Parents, teachers, students, we want to hear from you. It's the same phone number for everybody, 305-995-1800. If you're a teacher, share your experiences here during the summer break as you look forward to another school year. Parents, how do you feel about your rights, especially with the new state law? 305-995-1800. Hit us up on Twitter. We're uh, active there, at Florida Roundup. Already getting your tweets. We'll get to them soon, but first we're pleased to welcome Carla Hernandez-Matz of United Teachers of Dade. Carla, thanks so much for being with us here on The Roundup. 
Hi, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so many important topics that are being discussed, and uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Sure thing. Let me begin by asking, how bad is the teacher shortage in your part of the state? Well, in Miami-Dade County, uh, at the end of the school year, we had four, over 400 vacancies. Um, you know, this is something that we think is only going to, that number is only going to expand. We know that we have educators that have retired. Um, so that number is going to be quite large. And it's also impacting our counselors and, you know, just so many other um, job descriptions of the work that we do in Miami-Dade. So it's not just teachers, but our paraprofessionals as well. Um, and, you know, it's it's obviously something that is detrimental to to student success because that means that these are classrooms. Uh, and in the state of Florida, we know it's over 9,000 vacancies. These are classrooms where children have, you know, sit and don't have a permanent teacher. And so you have to expect that the quality of education is going to suffer when you don't have a permanent teacher that's certified, you know, in that subject area to teach those kids. And what do you think is driving the shortage? Is it teacher pay or are some of the new Florida laws around classroom instruction, do any teachers say that is a factor for them as well in in leaving the profession? It's an excellent question, and it's actually both. Um, you know, we know that the state of Florida um, always lags um, almost at the end. We're 48th in the nation in terms of teacher pay. So there's definitely inadequate salaries that our state just hasn't done enough to fund our schools and get those resources where they need to be. They've, they've, um, they've focused on beginning teachers, which has unfortunately uh, been something that has been traumatic for our veteran teachers. And so we know there is inadequate salaries. We know there's a lack of, you know, support for the things that we need, resources, cost of living. Miami is considered the most expensive city in the entire nation, you know, with, with, uh, with the housing crisis that's happening. Workplace environment, you know, what are the, 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 the stresses that our workforce is having to, um, you know, overcome on a daily basis. And of course, we know that the pandemic really shook everything up. So it certainly is a, a, a complex situation, but I would say that inadequate salaries is a driving factor in Miami-Dade when people cannot live in the communities that they teach. And of course, these um, the political climate, the hostility against teachers um, has really uh, made, made it uh, unbearable for some people. Uh, we've seen drastic changes in the curriculum. We've seen these culture wars, these attacks uh, on public education. And even with all of these things, you know, what's really something that we want to highlight is that despite all these hurdles that our education workforce has had to jump through and the inadequate salaries, they continue to step up. You know, Miami-Dade yesterday just um, announced that we are an A-rated district. We're the top district in the state. But, you know, it's come through a lot of effort, through a lot of work. And our teachers and our education workforce are really frustrated because they don't feel the love after all the effort that they put in. 305-995-1800 statewide teachers, parents, students, retired teachers, uh, former students. Uh, we'd love to hear from all of you here talking about education and uh, talking about the anticipated uh, teacher shortage. 
for K-12 through public schools in the state of Florida. Carla Hernandez-Matz is the head of United Teachers of Dade in Miami-Dade County, 305-995-1800. Shira on line one has been listening in, a retired teacher from Orlando. Go ahead, you're on the radio. Hi, uh, yes. Um, When I hear about teacher shortages, uh, I think we're seeing something that's being impacted by choice, um, whether or not to be vaccinated. I have been a teacher for many, many years, and I would not opt uh, into something that I consider experimental that's been proven to be not uh, in the in, in people. Help me understand this intersection between vaccination. I'm assuming you're talking about the COVID-19 vaccinations and Correct. teaching. Correct. Where, where's that intersection? Teachers well, uh, in Florida are not required to be vaccinated. Oh, is that true? Okay, well then I'm. Is I'm that listening. true? Well, let me let me put that to the head of the uh, United Teachers of Dade, Carla Hernandez Matz. Isn't that the case? Yep, it yeah. it absolutely is true. It's been optional in the entire state, so that is not something that we've had to contend with here. Yeah, in fact, sure, there's a state uh, law that was passed in a special session that uh, banned uh, companies from requiring uh, vaccinations by uh, employee employer employees. Well, I'm Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. But I will also say that teaching has gotten far more complicated in all of the things that have gone on in our political system. But uh, thank you very much for informing me about that. No, I appreciate the question. Always uh, great to hear from uh, retired teachers uh, from Orlando. Shira there. Carla, let me ask you, uh, she does bring up the larger point about the role of the pandemic. Uh, uh, Miami-Dade was one of the few districts that uh, uh, went against the State Department of Education at the beginning of the last school year and mandated masks. Uh, What role has this pandemic and protocols and procedures in the school rooms uh, played in regards to retaining teachers? Well, I think that it's played, first and foremost, a very uh, large uh, part in our safety. Uh, You know, we saw that when things were, you know, at their peak and everybody was spiking, um, it helped us to mitigate some of, you know, the, the issues that would arise from obviously COVID um, just being rampant in our schools. And so that was a big concern for us, safety, Um, you know. We were one of the few districts that did mandate masks. Um, I stand uh, still, you know, um, supporting the decision that was made. Um, You know, we wanted to make sure that being in a large urban area, that we had the protections and the safety measures that were needed uh, with the information that we knew. And we know now, even based on the test scores, is that with the, the, the safety measures that we implemented did not impact the academic growth. Now, obviously, it's always better when you don't have certain barriers and things can be better. But considering that we were in a pandemic uh, with very limited knowledge on how the virus was impacting people and the effects, the long-term effects in the community, I think that we did a yeoman's uh, job on that. Um, but... For the most part, teachers want to fe- they feel they want to feel safe as well and work for workplace environment. Obviously, where we teach is where our kids are learning, and so all those things and all those factors were important to our workforce as well because we wanted to make sure that our kids were safe, that they were happy, that they were learning, and that we were able to do it in the safest environment while being in the pandemic. Calls coming in from around the state here on the Florida Roundup this Friday. As we talk about a serious teacher shortage in Florida, your kids will see it in the classroom when they go back to school soon. 
305-995-1800. Max in Hialeah, Florida. Hi, Max. You're on the air. Hello. Good afternoon. So what are your thoughts? Um, honestly, I'm a private school teacher, and the way I see it is besides, of course, so long as you have a teacher that has to come out of their own pocket to pay for items and materials in their classroom, there's always going to be an issue with teacher pay. So that's across the board. But more specifically about what's going on right now, I mean, there's just so many teachers that either feel censored or feel under attack now by parents. We used to have conversations about achievement. Now we're talking about uh, social issues and, and, you know, and, and red meat for any for a particular party. And it just seems like we've lost our way. And a lot of teachers, with all of the pandemic changes, uh, are just saying, you know, it's just not, it just isn't worth it. When you're supposed to have this relationship with your parents and your students, when the parent, you know, wants to control what's happening in a classroom and steps in as the educational professional, which I wholeheartedly respect, but it, it just seems to be such a tug of war, like a, a, a war. And it's just some teachers are just not, don't just don't, don't think it's worth it. And then they're not feeling safe at school with the increase in gun violence. So it's just a, a whole bunch. And of are things. you are you in that group, Max? What's keeping you committed? I love my job. I'm a I'm a former uh, veteran of the armed forces. I know that my place and uh, and what I'm purpose to do in life is to protect the innocents and to, to 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 educate. That's that's my place. I found my place. I found my calling. This is what I do. Um, thank God that where I work, I actually do get a pretty decent salary. Now, of course, uh, that that may seem you know a little bit you know, ear twitching, but I do receive a pretty decent salary. I'm not a public school teacher anymore. I used to be. And so uh, the, the UTD uh, president is on point, as she always has been when I was a public school teacher um, and, and and making those points that she made. It's a reality. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm yeah. being kept because I love my job. And I love my kids. I and- can hear it in your voice. And I want to thank you so much for calling and for teaching kids, Max. Thank you for your insights. Thanks. Teacher pay is a big concern here. Carla Hernandez-Matz, the head of the United Teachers of Dade Union in Miami-Dade. And, Carla, we're hearing from uh, more school teachers in Miami-Dade County. Gina uh, tells us uh, that uh, she's a teacher in Miami. Gina, thanks for listening and calling. What do you teach? Hi, I teach uh, U.S. History, 11th grade. we got a lot to talk about uh, perhaps there, but you wanted to talk about teacher pay and paycheck specifically. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Um like the uh, caller before, I totally agree with him. Um, we are so overwhelmed um, with so much, and pay is really important to us. I'm still a teacher because I'm 24 years in the system. It doesn't make sense for me to leave and start over. But when teachers are in the system five, ten years, and they can go to the private sector and make more money in corporate America, they're going to leave. And they're safer, they're respected. We get it from all ends. Government is attacking us, society, you know, uh, parents attack us. And yet we're there protecting their kids. We're there teaching their kids. Uh, Here in Miami-Dade, even though we got a 0.6% raise, we busted our butts teaching them. 
Gina, are you still with us? Yes. Go go ahead. You said you the, the raise was 0.6%, is that right? Yes. And yet we're still working hard, busting our butts, teaching every day, making sure that our school system gets a rating of an A+. Yeah. We well, want to be successful, but you have to pay us. When my rent went up from $1,650 for a two-bedroom apartment, yeah. To $2,400. Yeah, inflation rate is over 8.5% nationwide. Gina, thank you for sharing your thoughts there from the classroom in Miami. Carla Hernandez-Metz with the Teachers Union in Miami-Dade. What's the response to a veteran teacher like Gina, a U.S. history teacher, 24 years, looking at a pay raise of, of less than 1% and an inflation rate of 8.5%? Thank you so much. And um, I want to actually talk a little bit about what both Max and Gina have said. Um, you know, I think that it's important that Max, Max's point that it also is something that we unpack. Uh, there's been so many culture wars that have been brought upon our public school system. Uh, you know, when, when we talk about the Don't Say Gay Law, the Stop Woke Act, you know, all these different things that are just distractions because they're not things that happen in our public schools. We've never taught uh, about sexual orientation in no. grades K through third. Carla, you pardon know, the was- pardon the interruption. We're going to tackle some of those topics in just a few moments as well. But in our final moments with you, I do want to give you an opportunity to respond to the teacher pay question, particularly okay. the role Absolutely. the yeah. role of collective no. bargaining and unions. Absolutely, and so we know that our state is 48th in the nation in terms of teacher pay. They've only focused on giving funds to beginning teachers, which is an insult to veteran teachers. Veteran teachers have seen their salaries be compressed. What we've done here in Miami-Dade has been creative. And in 2018, we passed a countywide referendum that passed overwhelmingly. Our community loves us. They support us. It was over 71% passage rate to help get money in our teachers' pockets. And so that referendum is going to be on the ballot in November again. And we need to have that on there. But we also need to hold our lawmakers accountable because when they don't give us money to put on base pay, that is what you see. You see very you see very little growth in base pay salary because they're not giving and funding Miami-Dade County Public Schools enough. If, if you're negotiating uh, a new contract uh this year, next year, you're looking at a base inflation rate that you haven't seen in 40 years. Are you going Absolutely. to be increased? What are you going to ask for for veteran teachers? So so this is the thing, right? When you have state lawmakers that create laws um, that say, first of all, you have to pay everybody in the school system that is not a teacher, get them at $15 a minimum. So there you know, you know that part of your. Well, so that's the state down. law minimum wage is $15 an hour. But they passed a law this year that our school, everybody has until 2026, I believe, to comply to that. They said that public school districts have to comply by October of this year. So there's there's a different type of treatment to public schools and trying to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not being as successful as we can be because they pigeonhole us. They put us in the, you know, between a rock and a hard place. We also know that really what's a saving grace right now for us in the pandemic has been what the Biden administration did. They put ESSER funds that helped us to, you know, patch up some holes that we've had in different places. But of course, we want to make sure that we decompress our teachers. And we know that, you know, there's going to be a difference between base and referendum. Um, and, 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 And we're going to keep on pushing for that because 
we have to have an increase. Our teachers have to be able to live in the communities that they work yeah. in. We have to make sure that we give them a cost of living adjustment, that we try to help them, you know, stay in their community. Carla, we got to leave it there. Be- Carla Hernandez-Matz, the uh, head of the United Teachers of uh, Dade in Miami-Dade County. More education talk coming up on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Florida family-owned and operated since 1936, and a proud supporter of public radio. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, always be celebrating. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. In Miami, I'm Tom Hudson. We're talking about public education this hour here on the Florida Roundup. Kindergarten through higher education. Later on, we'll talk about a new survey that the state wants to do for university students and faculty here in the state of Florida. 305-995-1800. Parents, teachers, students. We want to hear from everybody in the same phone number today on the Roundup, 305-995-1800. Nicole has been listening into our conversation in Keystone Heights. Nicole, thanks for calling. You're on the radio. Oh, well, thanks for taking my call. Um, I really, this this topic is so wide open. I could talk on a lot of things, but let me just look at the, the last caller in this talk on teacher pay. Um, I'm 28 years, starting my 29th year in the same county in northeast Florida, um, recently, our county has made some headway in raising teacher salary, but unfortunately, they haven't raised any of ours. A uh, beginning teacher at my county makes $47,500, and I just make just over $50,000. Mm. I've been with the same county for the same period of time. I can also speak on the civic situation. Um, civics education in Florida is definitely um, something that I'm, I'm concerned about. Um, this new curriculum, the the state of Florida has offered teachers a $700 stipend to go to the Summer Institute to learn about this new curriculum that we're supposed to be teaching. And while you're, you mentioned that it's downplayed race um, and the role of race in America, it is also interjecting a lot of, of, of the ideas that Christian principles were how our mm-hmm. country was based on. So from what I've heard from the people who have attended this, it's not so much learning new lesson strategies or instructional strategies to teach their curriculum. It's schooling the, the teachers about what civics is and how our people are. And they're, they're looking like they're t- t- teaching us yeah. how our founders had come about. And as far as retention goes, I'm, I'm probably one of a handful of people that have the amount of experience in my school. I've been in the same school my whole 28 years. Like your other caller that talks about she's 24, 24 years in, it's very difficult for us veteran teachers to make the decision to cut ties yeah. with, with this job because of the, um, the financial um, setbacks that we would get. Um, not only if I'm not at 30 years or or retirement age it's a five percent reduction in my pension yeah and so i'm just telling you all that and as far as why we're quitting or why we're not going back it's all of the above (laughs) we all love our job we all we all love our job we all love teaching kids we all see uh, the aha moments i teach social studies i find it so important Mm. for me to do this but um concerns from from parents what we're teaching, how we're teaching, even though we're following standards, yeah, they're still very, very much interested in doing this. And I'm going to throw a new thing in here. Our school board, which um, 
currently our school board members, veteran members of the school board, are being challenged by the people who are the um, Moms for Liberty. And their whole thing is providing um, more opportunities for outsiders to mandate how these sensitive subjects are taught. Yeah, there's a lot there, uh, Nicole, that you've shared with us, and it's an important perspective for folks to hear. And I I can't thank you enough for listening and for calling and sharing your experiences. 28 years in the classroom, right, from Keystone Heights. Nicole, they're calling us here on the Florida Roundup. And one of the topics she spoke about there, civics, the the, the civics training, social studies, uh, uh, social studies teachers, uh, in late June, Melissa gathered for three days of classes. The topic was the new Civics Literacy Excellence Initiative. This is a $106 million project for revised civics curriculum here in Florida. Yeah, the teachers who attended the training got a $700 stipend. They're eligible for an extra $3,000 if they complete a 60-hour online course. But some educators, as we just heard from that caller are critical of this new material, especially how it represents race and American history. In a moment, we'll hear from another teacher who attended the seminar, and we'll go to your calls too, 305-995-1800, tweets to at Florida Roundup. But first, let's set the table on this about what has happened. Ana Ceballos is with us, Miami Herald State Government reporter from Tallahassee. Ana, welcome back to the Roundup. Describe this social studies training, this civics training that happened in late June. Hi, yes, thanks for for having me. Um, So these new civic trainings are still ongoing. They're going um, throughout the month of July um, in different parts of the state. There's the Florida Department of Education is going to be hosting a total of 10 sessions, and they're hoping to reach about 2,500 public school teachers. And this is mostly aimed at um, teaching them about teaching trainers, training teachers, sorry, about Mm -hmm. uh, the new revised civic standards that the state has, you know, like redone in the Uh, last few years. And I want to ask you about that, but how is this training conducted? So this was a three-day session, and the one that we were focused on in one of our stories was the one, the first one in Broward County. And there were, you know, a couple hundred teachers that attended this at Broward College, and there were breakout sessions, there were presentations by the state, um, they were um, led by the state and created in conjunction with other groups, including a conservative college in Michigan called Hillsdale. There's also a group called the Bill of Rights Institute, um, and then there's the Lou Frey Institute of Politics and Government at the University of Central Florida, and uh, the Bob Graham Center for Public Service at the University of Florida. And so there's like this this group of consultants, if you will, right, that help the state develop presentations and training for teachers to present the civics. And it was done throughout a three-day session. And so who led, who, of, who were the teacher trainers who led this training? So there were, uh, I mean, it was, it was just several people, uh, but they were selected by the state. Uh, they were, for example, people who have expertise on their own, who they embedded and thought they would be appropriate to be leading these uh, presentations. But one of the things that these teachers who did attend these, these seminars noted that it was very scripted, that it was very, um, you know, that there was like a, a, a presentation in place and there was really not a lot of room for debate. And it was 
you know, pretty much, hey, here is here are the new standards, here are the presentations that we're going to give you. But it was led by the state and people who the state selected. Mm. Ana Ceballos reporting on the uh, civics training that uh, social studies teachers in Florida have been undergoing, some undergoing this summer. Ana covers state government for the Miami Herald from Tallahassee. Thanks so much for sharing the reporting with us. Sure. Thank you. Let's go now to a teacher who attended one of the seminars. It's Justin Vogel. He is a teacher at Creekside High in St. John's County. Hey, Justin. Hi. Thanks for having me. So you attended the training. You've been critical of it. Why? Well, let me start with the positive. Uh, It was a well-organized training, and it's paid professional development for teachers, and I'm going to be a proponent of that by default. Um, So I'm happy that that they're, they're doing something. And to be clear, I don't want them to get rid of it. I want them to fix it. it. It's clearly politically biased. And what they're doing, I'm not a civics teacher, or I've taught U.S. history in the past, but I'm not a history teacher, or a civics teacher, or a government teacher. But I am, a, I, my specialty is academic research. And what they're doing is clearly biased. It's propagating a perspective instead of offering multiple perspectives. They're, they're substituting the originalist perspective for, uh, for, for straight fact. And it's, it's not academically honest to do what they're doing. It needs to be fixed, not eliminated. Um, and, and it's everything from the breakout sessions to the keynote speakers to the, I just heard that Hillsdale is involved. They, they were cited several times. Ave Maria That's University, a conservative college in, in Michigan yeah. uh, that has right. been involved in uh, getting involved in education curriculum. Let me ask you, in particular, you've been critical of instruction uh, for civics classes that you believe and some other teachers believe improperly downplays the role of slavery in American history. Can you tell us what the specifics were there? Yeah, if you put the, the, the breakout sessions on a scale of, you know, very biased to the least biased, the one you're referring to is, was probably the most egregious and the, the one that stood out to most teachers. Um, it, for example, a slide that was on the screen a couple of times had uh, arrows coming out of Africa uh, going all over the world, and that was a map of the slave trade uh, during a period in history from 16-something to 17-something. And what they were trying to show us was that only 4% of the slave trade was coming to the English colonies. And, of course, you know, the, the message was everybody was doing it, and uh, ours wasn't as bad as others. Um, and that, it's pretty dishonest to say that because, you know, you study our own history and the institution of slavery in our country – um, you know, breeding was happening, and uh, our slave population was largely constructed through, um, um, you know, through through that process. Just you know, people born here into slavery, and so the population grew and grew and grew to four million people. Um, it's not that we uh, sort of uh, you know brought that many people over. So it's it's just dishonest to cherry pick evidence. That's my, again, that's my specialty: line of reasoning, source, credibility, evidence. And they cherry picked evidence regularly. And it was it was it was pretty bad. It was it was not okay. academically honest. Uh, and, and, and lem- yeah, uh, to give another perspective, uh, the education commissioner has said that uh, this new training is a way to end partisan indoctrination in civics class. Now, let me ask you as well, Justin. Another red flag you raised is that the civics instruction given to teachers said that the 
widely accepted notion that the founding fathers wanted a separation between church and state. Civics teachers are now being asked to teach that that is a misconception. What was said in that slide? So that's, that's part of the problem, too, is the, the use of the word misconception, when really what it is is an alternate perspective. So we were presented Supreme Court cases that were, um, they were presented to us as wrong. The, the Supreme Court was wrong in the particular case, right? And of course, that's not academically honest. The Supreme Court, at a, in a particular case, ruled the way they did, and they cited the evidence they did, right? That's how to, that's how to properly teach it and properly learn it, um, you know, and look at it from multiple perspectives. But they... To say that it was right or wrong, and I think most of us would agree that certain ones were wrong, Dred Scott, Plessy Ferguson, and, um, you know, things like that. But what they were trying to do was was to, yes, there was some religious component, and we can't deny that there was a religious influence on our founders. But what they were trying to do was, again, cherry-pick evidence, uh, words of Thomas Jefferson. When he said wall of separation between church and state, what the presenters wanted us to believe is that he didn't mean it. It was in context. It was in a letter. He didn't mm. put it in one of the founding documents. I mean, that's a little bit misleading, right? Like they're not looking at multiple angles here. I want to thank you for your perspective as a teacher who attended this training. Justin Vogel teaches at Creekside High in St. John's County. Thanks so much for being with us. And you're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Civics education is not the only lightning rod of controversy in Florida classrooms. The state's new parental rights and education law bans sexual orientation or gender identity instruction that is not age appropriate, though what that means has not been defined yet by the state education department. Now, some school boards are hoping to provide some guidance for teachers and parents. In Tallahassee, the Leon County School Board okayed an LGBTQ inclusive school guide this summer. Alva Striplin is with us, the Leon County Vice Chair of that school board, representing the uh, first district in Leon County. Alva, thanks so much for uh, your time today. What What's the goal of the guide that uh, the school board passed recently? Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be on and shed some light on this subject. Um, the, the goal is to give our teachers and administration guidance. It, it really is trying to find a balance for um, both sides of this very, very emotional issue, um, both the students that are struggling with their gender identity, as well as the parents who have rights, um, not only as parents, but under the law in Florida. So it was trying to find that that middle ground, um, but absolutely give our teachers and administrators guidance. That that was the purpose of this guide. Was there a, 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 a cry out from teachers for more guidance because of the passage of the parental uh, rights and education law? Um, well, we're currently in litigation here in Leon County right. due to uh, something that happened in the past. Um, there, there was a, a, I'll call it a guide that had never been brought before the board, um, had never received public input um, that was in, that was constructed by internal district staff, um, and it did not give parents rights. It did not follow law, um, and it gave some um, some direction that was definitely questioned by myself and some other board members. And I asked to have that guide pulled and reviewed and have citizen input, and that's what we did. That was a guide that was pulled last summer. This new guide that uh, you and your colleagues approved this summer requires the school, for instance, to tell a parent if a student who is open about their gender identity in a gym class or an overnight field trip with their child. How does this work in practicality? 
So we're going to see how that works um, as we move into. Well, the isn't the guide supposed to provide the framework for how it works? Absolutely, and it does provide the framework. It also provides statute and and case law and references for for any issue that might that our teachers might um, encounter. Mm-hmm. But what it does have in in addition to the guide is the welcoming and affirmation plan. So it, there is a trigger point when a student comes to a school and says. I, you know, I was born biologically this sex, but I now want to be identified as, as, as another sex, um, or I want my name changed. Now we have a plan in place where the parent has to be required, is required to come and sign in and weigh in on this. We want to make sure that the parent is engaged in this conversation if the school has been requested by the student to change their gender identity. And is that something that was uh, spurred on because of the uh, parental rights and education law and its requirements? Yes, in addition to current litigation. There's been some confusion in Orange County, where Orlando is, about whether public school teachers can have pictures of same-sex spouses on their desks or wear rainbow-colored clothing items to uh, signal support for LGBTQ issues. What's your guidance for teachers in Leon County regarding these kinds of practices? We don't have guidance for that within the within the policy. We do we ask our teachers, as every other district does, to stick to curriculum and keep your personal views out of the classroom. So does that mean a, a same-sex spouse picture on a desk is inappropriate for a second-grade teacher in Leon County, for instance? We have not we have not instructed anybody to remove pictures like that from their desk. Or instructed about what is appropriate colored clothing and, and other kinds of uh, other kinds of measures. Do you anticipate Again, having to have that? There could be discussions about it. Absolutely. We, we, we receive input from citizens all over our community. We have a vastly um, differing community. We are the state capital, um, <laughs> but, we are he- but we're heavily Democrat, you know, so we're, we're in a very unusually populated district. We don't yeah. lean one way or the other. I mean, we, we've got some strong views and opinions on both sides. Alva, we got to keep know- it there. Sorry for the interruption. We're up against no the clock here, but I appreciate your time here on this Friday. Thanks so much. Thank you. Alva Stripland, Leon County Vice Chair of the School Board there. More on education on the Florida Roundup. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can visit 125 stores throughout Florida or shop online at abcfws.com. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. In Miami, I'm Tom Hudson. In Jacksonville, I'm Melissa Ross. Calls from all over the state, meanwhile, as we talk about education controversies in Florida, both K through 12 ed, and in a moment, we'll look at a higher ed issue. But first, let's go to Gina in Merritt Island. Hi, Gina. You're on the radio. Go ahead. Good afternoon. Um, I uh, wanted to say that our state elected legislatures are solely responsible for the low teacher pay and all the lack of resources for the children. These legislators are micromanaging a curriculum and they're creating problems that they have ideas to solve, like preventing emotional education, which is ludicrous. They don't say gay rule, the woke rules, all that sort of business. I know of several wonderful teachers who quit, uh, my children's teachers, who quit to become secretaries and bookkeepers. Um, or have second jobs even, and they're all doing this because of the crush of expectations with the low pay uh, and political issues. Uh, we need to vote for lawmakers that support what the teachers need. Thanks, Gina. Getting lots of tweets about politics and education, too. Uh, here's one from a Polk County librarian, Tom. He says he believes 
These issues are part of an intent to dismantle the public Mm. school system. More calls, too, Tom. Yes, let's hear from Henry in Miami. Go ahead, Henry. You're on the radio. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for holding on. What uh, What do you say? So look, I have children that go into you know Miami Dade schools, and I want to make sure that they got all the resources they need to be successful. So the state and the district need to find ways to support them, financially support them. Yes, find good teachers they can teach and resources so my children practice. You know, uh, get better and learn a lot more. So that's just a comment that I have because state needs to do better for public, you know, public schools for my kids. Henry, thanks for spending some of your summer break with us here on the Florida Roundup from Miami to talk education. Well, let's talk about higher ed now. Public universities in Florida are now required to survey both faculty and students on their political beliefs and viewpoints. The institutions could be at risk of losing their funding if they don't comply. The new project was tucked into a law signed Tuesday by... He says it's intended to promote intellectual diversity on campus. There are worries about the survey's privacy protections and how those results will be used. 305-995-1800 tweets to at Florida Roundup. Already getting some, Tom. One says, this idea gives me the willies. Well, let's find out about uh, what the intent is and what the reality is with Andrew Atterbury, Politico education reporter covering higher ed in Tallahassee, statewide in Florida. Andrew, welcome back to the program. So tell us about these surveys. Uh, What are students and faculty members asked? Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me so much. Uh, So one thing, uh, this was actually signed, I believe, in 2021. So this is kind of in the, uh, the end stages of taking hold. And the first results of these are actually supposed to be res- uh, unveiled by at least September 1st, starting this year and then every fall afterward. Um, and from what the Board of Governors over the State University system said, this is going to go out to uh, more than one million people. That includes, like, I think well over 400,000 students just in the State University system. So I think the the big picture, this is probably the largest, uh, like, climate, campus climate or intellectually intellectual diversity survey maybe that's ever been done in the U.S. I've seen some like sm- some some of these done at state university levels, but they are nothing yeah. to the scale of what Florida's doing. Did you say a million folks are going to be surveyed? Yeah, so that's, that's between students and staff and faculty, everybody. Uh, and that's what the Board of Governors said uh, uh, a couple months ago. So th- that that is, uh, that's remarkable, Andrew. I mean, that is uh, one out of every 20 people in Florida. Will be well, the hitch, here. though, the hitch, though, is that the survey itself, while the schools are required to give it out, the survey itself is not required. And I think that is going to be the, the one of the biggest thing to watch when this comes out in September, because like I mentioned earlier, so some of these surveys, for instance, that I've seen elsewhere in 2018, uh, the University of Nebraska system did a big survey. It was like two hundred twenty thousand dollars. Um, but they only had 9% of their students respond. So 48,000 out of about 428,000. And I think that's the issue that we're going to have to check on in Florida because if if not that many people respond or it's a low response rate like that, the results could be skewed in in several different ways. Sure. So so what about the results? How does the state uh, anticipate using uh, what it hears back? And that that right there is one of the biggest issues that uh, folks and universities have with this. There there really is no answer for that. Uh, they they kept it open. Of course, I think this will really fall in 
to what the board of governors would like to do and then maybe they'll make some recommendations to lawmakers uh for next session after this comes out in september but there really is no guideline for what will be done with this and that's made a lot of people anxious in, in well, universities and colleges so what was the intent then okay so they put together you know there was support by legislators and the governor to put together this survey funding uh you know finding the dollars for the survey with with no explicit intent on what to do with the survey results once they re- receive them back sure I, th- I think what what they say when they when they created this uh they wanted to they want to really gauge i guess the free speech at these campuses i think a lot of folks in tallahassee uh you'll you'll hear them think that they traditionally would say that uh, universities are like more liberal leaning and a lot of the conservatives in florida they want to they want to see if they can figure that out get some data to see you know is that a, is that an assumption is that correct um, and then, of course, what they do, what anyone does with this is, is still up in the air. But I think that's, they want to gauge the free speech on this on the on the campuses in Florida. And, you know, for Governor DeSantis, like free speech is a, is a huge thing for, for him and other conservatives in Florida. So that's aligned with something they've been wanting to do. I mean, they, they've been trying to get this this these surveys out there for years and it never really got over the hump until uh, 2021. And then now it's finally coming to fruition. I feel like, man, it's, it's been at least three, four, maybe even five years. They've been trying to get this stuff going. And and here it is. We anticipate maybe that first batch, that first tranche of uh, results sometime in September. Andrew Atterbury, stick with us. Andrew covers uh, higher education. Gesundheit there. Uh, Andrew with Politico. Uh, stick with us. 305-995-1800 as you're listening to the Florida Roundup on Florida Public Radio. Uh, post-COVID sneeze. Yes, Sam, Sam in Tallahassee. Go ahead, Sam. Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me on. Um, you know, I'm a returning student over at uh, FSU, but basically I just wanted to say that, you know, currently right now, from what I understand, the survey is anonymous. It seems fairly harmless in what, you know, it can accomplish right now. But I do worry about the results of what the survey would actually be, given that I think there's a growing distrust by liberals and people on the left, um, you know, by against uh, Governor DeSantis and the rest of sort of the conservative Florida legislature um, that they might be less likely to fill it out, and then the, the results will not really be indicative of the actual population and views of the people attending state-run you know, higher education. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, Sam. Um, you know, we should note, Andrew, as well, UCF in Central Florida made news this week. It had to scrap its anti-racism policy because it's no longer legal in Florida. Uh, we just saw breaking uh, from... Uh, our wires earlier, uh, a federal judge today ruled that a university professor in Florida, teachers and students can challenge the state's new law that restricts the way race related concepts can be taught in the classroom and the workplace. This is the Stop Woke Act. So given all of these things moving at the same time, is the overall concern that uh, the survey and other matters are creating a chilling effect on campus in terms of people feeling that academic freedom is protected and that their views would not be subject to any punitive responses, I guess. Yeah, sure. That's that's exactly what people are arguing against these laws in court. Uh, the challenge you just mentioned against HB7, the uh, anti-woke uh, lawsuit, they, the, the, the issue with those lawsuits, they a lot of them have tried to get these laws uh, stopped dead in their tracks, but they haven't been able to like for that one, for instance, I think it was just a couple weeks ago. They're trying to get uh, get that law paused before it took effect on July 1st. But the the problem is the, for these, their, their trials are coming up, but these laws are already taking effect. So for the most part, these things are 
about to take hold. They're still working on rules for them, like including the Board of Governors and the Department of Education. Uh, but yeah, these, these trials are coming up, but these rules should be out um, and developed probably before everything comes to a head. Andrew, what's the potential impact or what are, you know, higher education professionals and agency regulators talking about over the horizon? Uh, Florida has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in its state universities. They have risen in national rankings considerably, UF and FSU particularly, but others. Uh, you know, uh, we've seen um, we've seen uh, admission uh, applications spike, uh, staff retention questions and issues. Uh, what's what what's kind of the long game here when it comes to the uh, stature of higher education in Florida well, and, keep and in how mind, it competes nationally? Sure. Keep in mind, another huge aspect of this is that there's a law that just was signed a few months ago that's going to force schools to change their accreditors for the first time, like, you know, maybe in a, in a long time. And what was interesting about that, the Board of Governors just met recently and they talked about the accreditation. What they said, they said that it seems like there's a lot of buzz around these Florida universities and that these other accreditors from across the nation are very interested in adding them. So, like you said, Florida's ranked really high. Uh, they're, it's like the number one uh, educate, uh, university system in the nation and, and all these accolades for education and higher ed. Um, and according to the Board of Governors, then they, they think that it's going to be really competitive and people are going to be vying for these universities. Like, you know, university of Florida is a a really well-known research Mm -hmm. university. So for now, but but still, there are a lot of organizations that have issues with uh, how Florida is going with academic freedom and a lot of these, and a lot of these laws, but Andrew, we got to leave it there. I'm going to leave it hanging for the next time we can have this conversation. Mm -hmm. Andrew Atterbury, higher education reporter for Politico joining us from Tallahassee. Thanks for sharing your report, Andrew. Happy to be here. And thanks to everyone who weighed in on this special hour on education in Florida. That's our show. The Florida Roundup comes to you by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz and Natu Tway are producers. Catherine Hobbs is associate producer. WLRN's director of radio operations and our technical director is Peter Maris. Engineering help each and every week from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Josh Torres. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. We'll be back next Friday at noon. Have a great weekend. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com.